Welcome to the Wednesday Wake Up Club Breakfast Podcast. June 2015 speaker was Representative Jim Jordan from Ohio. Representative Jordan told conservatives to be bold with their ideas and policies. Jordan also told some great stories, from his first job to his tour of the home of the Wright Brothers, all recorded live here at the Stephen P.J. Wood Building in Arlington, Virginia. So get some locks on your bagel and take a sip of your OJ, because you're listening to the Wednesday Wake Up Club Breakfast Podcast. Are you looking to launch your career? Do you want to gain real, professional experience while sharpening your media skills? Then apply today to be a studio's intern here at the Leadership Institute. As a studio's intern, you'll master Adobe programs and get behind-the-scenes access to media professions across the board. Just go to leadershipinstitute.org and click on the Career tab to learn more. That's leadershipinstitute.org and click on the Career tab to learn more. Thank you, uh, thank you, Peter. Thank, uh, thank you for that nice introduction. Um, there are people in public life who you wish were not. Most, most of them are Democrats and liberals. And then there are, um, then there are people like Morton Blackwell who you are glad chose to be involved in, in public affairs. And the difference he has made and all of you have made in young people's lives and therefore the country is so appreciated. So thank you very much for the huge impact you've had since 1979 in um, helping keep the country focused on the values and principles that made us great in the first place. Uh, I'm going to just have a few remarks, and then uh, I tell every single audience I get the opportunity to speak to that um, in spite of the Obama administration, we still have this wonderful thing called the First Amendment, and you'll be able to exercise your First Amendment rights here in just a few minutes. And I tell everyone, even though you're not stuck in the wonderful Fourth District of Ohio, you all still pay my salary. And you can ask any question you want, and you can yell at me, and that's the way it's supposed to work in this this great country. I'm going to start with a story I've been sharing a lot because I think it captures the typical family today in the, in, in, in the country, I think, is fed up with this town. They can't stand this town. They don't think anybody here is fighting for them. And I want you to think of a scenario that's going to play out today all across the country. There's going to be a guy who works second shift at the local auto plant who's going to go out and get in his truck and drive to work. Now, remember, he works second shift which means he misses some of his kids' Little League games in the summer and some of his children's after-school activities. He's working second, like my dad had to work second shift for a little bit. When you're a kid, you hate when your dad does that. Um, but he's working hard for his family. He goes out to get in his truck to drive to work. As he's getting in his truck, he looks two houses down. He sees a guy sitting on the front porch, drinking a cup of coffee, reading the paper. The second shift worker knows the front porch sitter can work but won't work and is getting his tax dollars. Gets in his truck to drive to work, he happens to turn the radio on, it's the news hour, the reporter comes on, talks about the federal government has an $18 trillion debt. They got this program that gives money to favored corporations. This one company went bankrupt, cost the taxpayers millions of dollars. He hears all that, he remembers the guy back on the front porch, and guess what? This guy's ticked off, and he has every right to be. Same time he's driving to work, there's a lady driving home from work, this lady, second grade teacher at the local elementary school, she, like all good teachers, views her job as a mission field. She has worked her tail off all day long helping her students get the skills they need to help them get on the path 
to achieving success in America. She's worked hard all day long. She's driving home from work. She happens to have her radio on, happens to be on the same station, hears the same reporter come on and talk about the federal government with an $18 trillion national debt program that gives money to favored corporations, and this one company went bankrupt and cost the taxpayers millions of dollars. She hears all that and remembers a bunch of other stupid things that's going on in Washington. She's thinking about all that. As she pulls into her driveway, which happens to be on the same street, and she looks a couple houses away and sees that same guy sitting on the front porch drinking his coffee, reading the paper. She knows he can work but won't work and is getting her money. And guess what? She's ticked off too, and she has every right to be. Now, I would argue that so many of those second-grade teachers and second-shift workers in the last election, a bunch of them just stayed home. They said to heck with it. We know Washington's completely forgotten us. We know no one's fighting for the values and the principles and things that we care about and things that are going to help our family. But, us, but there were some of those families who said, you know what, I'm going to go vote. I am going to vote. And I think most of them said this. I think they said, we know the Democrat Party has forgotten us. We know they don't care about us. They're big government, special interests, giving our money to folks who, don't, who can work but won't work, and cozying up to you know, special interests who, who get close with government and special deals. We know they've forgotten us. We suspect the Republicans have too, but we're going to give them one more chance. We're going to give them one more opportunity and see if they actually are going to fight for things we care about. And so we had this election. Republicans took back the Senate. In the House, we have the highest number of Republicans in the House that we've had in 80-some years. And now it's crunch time, where we have to demonstrate that we're actually standing up and fighting for regular families across this country. And I would argue that there are three things we have to do. And frankly, I don't know that we're demonstrating that very well right now. And the time's getting short because, let's be honest, if we don't show regular normal families across this country that we're fighting for them, I think more of them stay home next election, and that means Hillary Clinton's the next president, and this attack on liberty just continues to get worse and worse. That's really what's at stake. So I would argue just three quick things we can do, and then I want to talk about why it's so important we get this done. First, Stop the corporate welfare. People are fed up with the coziness and the, the companies who get special deals at the expense of regular taxpayers and regular families. And we have a great example. It's what I've been spending a lot of my time on, and, and the House Freedom Caucus has been focused on as an objective. But it is what I would call – well, let me, let me back up a second. You all remember when we had this earmark debate here in this town a few years ago? And everyone said, oh, we can't get rid of earmarks. Never, never is going to happen. It's a way of life in Washington. And, then along come this one earmark called the Bridge to Nowhere. Remember that one? Yeah. yeah. And suddenly that became the impetus and the catalyst for making this huge change and helping the taxpayers and treating the taxpayers with the respect they deserve. I would argue the Export-Import Bank is the Bridge to Nowhere of corporate welfare. It's the first step. If we can get rid of this Export-Import Bank and demonstrate to families that, look, the Republican Congress took a step towards a big step towards dealing with this corporate welfare problem, I think that will go a long way in communicating to voters we're fighting for them. And understand with the Export-Import Bank, every single Republican candidate who's announced is against it except one. Lindsey Graham's the only one who's for it. But everyone else is against it. Rick Perry come out against it. John Kasich come out against it. 
Rubio, Paul, Walker, Bush, they're all against it. The chairman that of real um, importance on this issue, Chairman Ryan, Chairman Hensling, Chairman Price are all against it. Every conservative group in the country is opposed to it. At the bank, we have, a year ago, we had a hearing in the subcommittee I get the privilege of chairing where Johnny Gutierrez, who worked, used to work at the Export-Import Bank, came in and took the Fifth Amendment. Six weeks ago, he was indicted. Five weeks ago, he pled guilty to bribery and fraud charges that took place over a seven-year time span at the bank. When the inspector general was in front of our committee six weeks ago, I asked him the question, can we expect, uh, can you assure us there's not going to be any more indictments? He said, I can't, I can't do that. There may be more indictments in the Gutierrez case. And there may be indictments coming in the 31 open fraud investigations that the Justice Department and the Inspector General are looking into at the Export-Import Bank. You have all that. And, oh, the other thing. This is one time where Congress can do what it does best and we can get rid of the bank, which is nothing, right? Because we have to affirmatively reauthorize this for it to continue. So this is one time where we can do nothing, something Congress is pretty good at, and we can actually take a big step towards ending corporate welfare. You do that, say we're showing that, then you have, I think, a greater moral platform to go after the social safety net programs that we have, the 79 different means-tested social welfare programs we have in this country that I think do a lot more trapping people into a lifestyle than they do in actually helping people get to a better, better station and better position in life. So then we have the, the, uh, the, the platform, I think, to focus on the work component that's needed in all these social welfare programs, if you're going to get taxpayer money and you're an able-bodied adult, there should be some work component if you're going to receive those dollars and really focus on that. And this is one thing I think, a little aside here, that we're starting to lose in this country. America's always been the place where you work, right? Just Americans, when you think about America, we work compared to other countries. And we're starting to see some changes in our culture that I think are not positive in that, in that, in that uh, regard. I did this with an audience not too long ago. How, I, I want you all to think about, um, think about the first job you had, the very first job where you were making less than minimum wage. Maybe you were a babysitter or a waiter or waitress or delivering the papers or whatever. For my brother and I, we, um, we had a little lawn mowing business. We lived in west central Ohio out in the country. We mowed 20 different country lawns. And... Um, Think about the things you learned in those, those first jobs. I, 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 I tell folks, we, you, know, you, you learn to schedule. You learn to manage resources. My dad, we had this. He gave us his old beat-up truck. We had a trailer, a riding mower, push mower, weed eater, toolbox, gas cans. We looked like the Beverly Hillbillies going down the road. And he said, I'll get you started, but then you're, you're paying for the gas in the truck, the gas in the mowers. You gotta, you're screwing around, and you break belts or pulleys or something. You're going to have to fix it. So you learn to manage things. You learn to schedule. We, 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 we found out that some people liked their yard mowed on Thursday because they wanted it looking nice for the weekend, and they would pay a little more money if you mowed it on Thursday. So guess what? We figured out a way to get those people mowed on Thursday. We weren't, you know, we were country boys, but we weren't stupid, right? <laughs> and um, you learned it, the, probably the biggest thing you learn in those, those first experiences is you learn to deal with people, right? We, you just, you, 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 people skills, personal skills. We had, uh, I always remember the Steinberger sisters were two older ladies who never married. Wonderful, wonderful people. Um, typically, you pull into a, to a, 
place and you just get after it. you jump out and start unloading get mowing because you had things to do and we had practice to get to and everything else and but we quickly learned with the Steinberger sisters it was worth your while to before you started to um go up knock on the door say hello and talk to them for a few minutes because if you did that about the time you're finishing up trimming around the house you could smell the chocolate chip cookies that they were making for you Are you interested in running for office? Want to work on a campaign? At the Leadership Institute, it is our mission to increase the effectiveness of conservative activists and leaders in the public policy process. We offer over 40 different trainings, including campaign management school, on-camera TV trainings, and writing workshops. If you want to make a difference in public policy, visit leadershipinstitute.org. That's leadershipinstitute.org. But here's what we're doing in America today. We are robbing people with this, the goofy social welfare programs we have that discourage and de-emphasize work. We are robbing people of learning that skill set that we all got in the very first job. And it's, it's, it's just flat out wrong. It's, it's, it's not fair to the people in, trapped in those programs, and it's not fair to the taxpayers who are paying for them, and it's something that we should change. And then the third thing we should do is just be bold. This, this, is, this is something that... Republicans can't be afraid of standing up for Republicans and for Republican principles. This is, we're Republicans. I, I believe in certain conservative principles, and I'm not afraid to debate them, and I'll take on any Democrat or any liberal who wants to talk about them. I think we've got the truth on our side, and if we can, can present it in a compelling and articulate way, I think we win the debate. So let's not be afraid of that. Let's just be, let's be, let's just be bold, and, and the best example is Probably one of the best examples is, is just the tax system. Someone asked about that earlier when I was walking around. Everyone knows our tax code is completely broken. It is a complete joke, right? We all know this. I mean, I've said this many times, but think about any tax code on the personal side, which says to half the population, you don't have to participate in the main tax, the income tax. Any tax code that says half the population is not even participate in the main tax is broken, and then on the corporate side, any tax code that says American companies are going to pay the highest rate in the world is stupid. So if you have a tax code that's both broken and stupid, maybe you want to change it, right? So let's, let's just be bold. And, and if, you're not, if you're not bold and somewhat radical in what you propose, no one pays attention. Do, do some of you know that the former chairman of the Ways and Means Committee in the last Congress, Mr. Camp, good guy, but he introduced the tax reform bill? Does anyone have any idea what was in that tax reform bill? Because it didn't get any attention because it just kind of shifted things around and was sort of the tinkering with basically the current code. Be bold. Go to a flat tax on the personal side, on the corporate side. Instead of just going to 25%, which everyone talks about, which would put us in the average corporate rate, go to the lowest. Go to 5%, zero. Go to just something real. Make us, why not make America the lowest corporate rate in the world? For most of our history, companies want to headquarter here. And in the last six years of the Obama administration, we have this inversion issue where, you know, you have Burger King and, and Tim Hortons and people wanting to headquarter in other countries because we have a crazy corporate tax code. So be bold. Here's why it's important. We're bold enough. We deal with the corporate welfare problem. We have the right kind of approach to helping people in our social safety net systems. <coughs> Excuse me. Here's why it's so important, because liberty has never been under more attack than it is today. And you can pick your issue. I thought it was interesting yesterday. 
I was sharing this with someone this morning as well. We had a hearing yesterday in the Oversight Committee where, now think about this, the press, five members of the press from from Cheryl Atkinson to uh, the guy at Vice uh, uh, Magazine to uh, someone from the New York Times, uh, someone from, I think the fourth person was AP. None of these people had ever testified in front of Congress before on, on the lack of response they're getting on FOIA requests, freedom of information requests. And yet when the press feels like it's so important that they have to come testify, the press, in front of Congress about restrictions placed on the press, that tells you how bad it's gotten. And that's in, you know, that's in, so as I said in, in, in the hearing, you have agencies that aren't complying with FOIA requests in the way they should, giving taxpayers and citizens the information that they're rightfully entitled to. But it's worse than that. Some of the same agencies that won't give you information also targeted people for exercising your most fundamental rights. Something Morton and I have talked a lot about. We're looking in this whole audit issue as well. But think about what happened with, and I'll, I'll just use the one example that I've spent a lot of time on the last two years. And that's getting to the bottom of the Internal Revenue Service targeting people. Now think about this. When you think about the First Amendment, freedom of religion, freedom of the press, freedom of association, freedom of assembly, but what's your most fundamental right under the First Amendment? Your right to do what? Yeah, do what I'm doing this morning. Speak. And not just any speech. When the founders put the First Amendment together, the most important aspect of your free speech rights was political speech, to speak in a political nature, political fashion against your government and not be harassed for doing so. And yet that's exactly in a systematic and sustained way that the IRS, that's what they targeted. It doesn't get any more wrong than that. So if we don't present a bold vision that attracts people, inspires people, persuades them to go vote for Republicans, I think there's a good chance Hillary Clinton's the next president, and all this attack on fundamental liberty continues to, to grow. So that's what's at stake, and that's why, that's why it's so critical, and that's why what you're all doing and supporting this fine organization is so important. Um, last thing I'd say is this. Uh, in spite of all that, in spite of the government that I think is uh, religious freedom is under attack, um, your First Amendment free speech rights, this whole NSA issue, and your Fourth Amendment liberties, I think, are compromised as well. In spite of all that, it's still the best country going. And um, with a lot of good folks, a lot of good families who understand what made the country special in the first place. We have uh, one of the neat things you get to do as a member of Congress is you nominate young people to go to our service academies. In our office, like a lot, we have a board who screens and interviews and goes to this, young people go through this process. And then what happens is when you nominate them, they go to the academies, and the academies then make the final up or down selection. And what the academies will typically do is um, they will contact our office, and they let us give the good news before they send out the letter saying, Mr. Smith, you're now going to the West Point or the Naval Academy or <coughs> excuse me, the Air Force Academy. So we get the, we, when we get the, the notice from whatever academy, then I get on the phone and call these people and give them the good news. Well, I, I was actually in the O'Hare Airport back this winter, and um, our chief of staff had sent me an email saying, uh, Sam Heingardner, a kid from Wapakoneta, Ohio, is uh, going to be getting his letter from the Air Force Academy, and so I should call the Heingardner family. And I was like, oh, they're fun calls to make. 
I, I actually remember the very first one I made eight years ago. I called this other, this young, I can't remember this young man's name, but I, I think it's Joe. I said, Joe, this is Congressman Jordan. You're going to get to go to United States Military Academy. And all you heard on the other end of the line was, it was like the first call I ever made on, on one of these. But this, this call, just this past winter, I called, I called the Heingartner family, and uh, uh, Sam's mother, Suzanne, answered uh, the phone. I said, uh, Suzanne, is Congressman Jordan, is, is, is Sam available? And she said, yeah. And so Sam gets on there. I said, Sam, that just want to let you know that you'll be getting a letter from the Air Force Academy to letting you know that you've been accepted and you're going to get to go to the United States Air Force Academy. He says, well, Congressman, we already got it. I said, oh, well, darn, you know, normally I beat the letter. I said, but congratulations, that's quite an honor. If there's any way our office can be helpful in the final, final things that have to be done, you know, don't hesitate to, to contact us. I said, can you put your mom, uh, Suzanne, back on the line? And she gets back on. I said, I just want to congratulate you as well. This is, this is a family, something you obviously should be very proud of. And, and um, I said, so congratulations. I said, is your husband, Ernest, is he, is he um, available? She says, no, he's not. He, um, he's not. He's not home right now. He, he had to step out and... Back later, she said, but I just want you to know, Congressman, I've seen my husband cry twice in his life, the day Sam and his twin brother were born, and today when we got this letter. And it made me think there are some great families in this country who believe in the values that made us special in the first place. And it's our job as people who are involved in politics to think about those people and what they mean and what this country is so – why this country is so special – and be willing to fight for the things that matter. And if you think about that and think about families like, like the Heingartner family, I think we'll, we'll do the right thing. Last thing I'd say is this. Remember the history of this country. We have always been able to overcome whatever obstacle, whatever problem, whatever burden is in our path. We have always been able to do it. It's an amazing place. And I may have shared this the last time I was with you, but this is something that stuck with me. Two summers ago, and I will stop here and take your question. Two summers ago, we, um, we live north of Dayton, Ohio, and uh, we have some friends in the Dayton area who called us up and said, we want to go to dinner, and they, and they said, but before we go to dinner, we're going to tour the Wright brothers' home. And uh, Polly and I said, yeah, we'd love to do, love to do both. We, we, the house we live in is, was built in 1837, so we like old things, and you know, they're, they're neat. It always costs money. They're always something you've got to spend on to fix these things up. But, but we liked that, and we said, sure, sure, we'll go, we'll go. So we, we go down there, we meet, the, meet our friends, and then we do the tour, and it's about an hour and a half, and you learn all kinds of neat things about this, these two brothers, amazing guys. I mean, typical American, entrepreneurial, innovative, I mean, just amazing guys. Um, and it's, you know, you, historical society thing, and they take you through, and you learn about them. But what stuck with me is the last room they take you to. It's one of the, and I forget which brother it was, one of the brothers' bedrooms. And they're, they're talking about, you know, more information about the family. But in this last room, they show you two pictures. And the first picture they hold up, 1903, first flight, Kitty Hawk, in this contraption they called an airplane. It flew like 101 feet. And they hold it up, and you're like, well, I remember that from eighth grade, ninth grade, whenever you learn that in school. And say, oh, yeah, that was, yeah, that's neat. They put that picture down. Next picture they hold up, 44 years later, Chuck Yeager breaking the sound barrier. Now think about it. In 1903, 1947, 44 years, two guys flying 100 feet, 
to another American breaking the sound barrier. And I'm like, holy cow, I didn't know that. I mean, it's, it's just amazing. They put that down, that's it. Literally, that's it. And so I'm, I'm starting to walk out the door, and I'm like, well, for goodness sake, why'd they stop there? I represent Wapakoneta, Ohio, where the Heingartner family's from. Where another Ohioan, uh, 22 years later, stepped on the moon. So think about this. In 66 years, two guys flying 101 feet on a beach in North Carolina, 66 years later, putting a guy on the moon? So when people tell me, you know, we can't deal with Barack Obama, I say, you're crazy? Think about this country, right? Look what it's done in, in just 66 years. And if you remember that, that helps us have the boldness we need to have to energize and inspire people to fight for the things that really matter that will help put this country back on the right path. And never forget, when America leads, the world's safer and better. And if we're not leading, someone who doesn't have the values, the heritage, the history, the principles, will we'll assume that leadership role and the world gets even more scary and more dangerous than it already is. So God bless you. Thanks for coming out this morning and thanks most importantly, for helping this fine organization and all the great work it's doing. Someone's already got their hand up. Thanks for listening to the Wednesday Wake Up Club Breakfast Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, remember to share and subscribe wherever you listen to this podcast. To listen to more breakfast, head over to the Leadership Institute YouTube channel, and to see who our next WWCB speaker is, visit our website at leadershipinstitute.org. The Wednesday Wake Up Club Breakfast Podcast is produced and edited by Alexander Chang with support from Tiffany Roberts and Jared Cummings. Advertisements by Alexander Chang and Christopher Olson. Executive produced by David Fenner and Morton Blackwell. <laughs>